0: It's time for the Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, we talk about our favorite Land Rover accessories, the North American Bug Eye Series 2A. I accidentally record the show with the wrong microphone. And everyone's favorite segment, Famous Land Rover Owner of the Week. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at the BarrisCollection.com or check us out on Instagram at The Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss.
1: Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook and Instagram at Pangolin4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started.
0: All right, Ike, how are you? And welcome again to another, what will be without a doubt, riveting
1: episode of the Underpowered Hour. What's
0: news this week, my friend?
1: You know, uh, I'm very excited to be here on the Underpowered Hour again with you this week, Stephen. And uh, I just want to appreciate, take a second to appreciate that uh, that riveting pun. I love it. And I uh, also want to mention that our good friend, Nick Dimbleby, is, uh, he's got a, a feature in this month's Land Rover Monthly Magazine. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Nick is uh, the preeminent Land Rover photographer. He's employed by Land Rover, does a lot of uh, the magazine articles for Land Rover and uh, some of the Land Rover enthusiast magazines. Shoots a, almost exclusively Land Rovers, does some other automotive stuff, but extremely talented. Check out his work and his Instagram if you haven't already. But um, he came out and visited us pre COVID. And he did uh, a number of shoots on several of our vehicles, and uh, they've been appearing in some of the magazines over the last uh, year and a half, I would say. And uh, this particular one, I think, is the last of that series, and uh, it's going to be featuring some of our cars, uh, a 1956 Series 1 factory yellow 88 uh, with a capstan winch, dual capstan winches currently, uh, front and rear. And then uh, also another interesting car, which is a uh, red, uh, original U.S. spec red pickup truck that I have owned for a long, long time. And I love it dearly. Um, that car and the yellow car will both be featured in this month's Land Rover Monthly. So check it out. Oh, fantastic.
0: Well, and Nick's work is fantastic. Of course, he uh, spent time on the Camel Trophy a number of years doing the field photography for Camel Trophy, as well as, you know, photographing every major Land Rover vehicle release for the last, I don't know how many decades, quite frankly, Um, just finished a big shoot of all the v 8 uh defenders uh as part of that rollout of the special defenders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very very cool stuff and he's also done some amazing uh jaguar stuff as i imagine part of his role at the at the great jlr uh he's done uh he's done some really cool uh old jaguar stuff recently as well his instagram is a uh, super fun and definitely worth uh, checking out and just generally uh, an all around nice guy.
1: Oh, super nice guy and uh, just an amazing talent. He can take a, a photograph of a Yugo in a convenience store parking lot and you will uh, you will want that car. He is just that good. He's amazing. You know, just to see him work it's just there'll be it, it's like in the dark and uh, it's raining and uh, it's hailing and then uh, somehow through the magic of his uh, photography skills it's like it looks like you're in the coast of Monaco or something.
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, he's a very transformative uh, photographer. And, of course, uh, famous. Uh, his uh, Yugo series is known in <laughs> the world around as uh, probably the uh, preeminent study on that particular uh, subject. So I uh, can't, uh, can't wait. He's really, I think, the driving force behind the relaunch of the of the Yugo Hugo. Um, which will be, which will be great.
1: Single-handedly responsible for the, uh, heated rear windshield to keep your hands warm when you're pushing the car. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's <laughs>
0: nice 'cause you know, you know, you don't it's
1: the it's the little things that you don't realize when you're
0: buying the car. But then, you know, I really you appreciate it. And the and the, the off on switch for the heated wind uh screen uh, on the back of the car, uh, because that's it's where it's most uh often used. Um I thought it would be a great uh opportunity to uh introduce a, a new ongoing uh segment. Uh, By popular demand of both uh, you and I, um, your favorite Land Rover uh, accessory. Um, I have a few. I know you have a few, both aftermarket, factory. uh, Some of the vintage factory accessories, of course, uh, are, I think, collectively our uh, favorites. I love the uh, optional equipment. Uh, manuals uh, for all of the series vehicles because some of the stuff in there is just so far out from anything that you've sort of seen on a car. I absolutely love it. Um, I uh, I'm a big fan, of course, of the nine pages of different raised air intakes and things like that. I have a factory raised air intake on my Series Three, which is which is <laughs> fantastic and and such an interesting piece. And uh, you know everything from that all the way down to. Uh, the weird little ashtrays that you could get for the the Metal Dash uh, Series 2s uh, and and beyond. So, what Ike is uh, is your uh, favorite, at least for this week, uh, Land Rover accessory?
1: Yeah, I think that this uh, this segment is going to be returning frequently because, uh, as you said, there's so much optional equipment for Land Rovers, and uh, that is one of the things that separates them from a lot of other auto manufacturers. You know, I can't I can't believe they made so many individual pieces and parts for the Land Rover. There's there's just hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, accessories that you could get for your car, and they really promoted that you know, then, and to a certain extent now, you know, accessories are a big deal. You know, sometimes it can double the price of a vehicle. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the literature associated with that is, is super fun to look through and all the different uh, applications that people had for Land Rovers and their little specialized equipment. You know, Toyota famously had a um, an advertisement that sort of uh, said, you know, we don't have any optional equipment because everything that you need is included. As if, you know, uh, not having optional equipment was a feature somehow, right? Like having fewer, <laughs> fewer things was a feature. I think you get like a winch and a radio for a Land Cruiser. But uh, for the Land Rover, you know, hundreds of different things. You know, one of the things that I use in a lot of my vehicles that I really like are the the Link mats. You know, the mm-hmm. the rubber link mats, you know, they had standard floor mats, which are kind of a rubber sheet fitted to a lot of the vehicles, very thin. Um, but one of the problems with the, those sheet rubber mats is that they trap moisture against the floorboards. And so moisture and they don't do a good job of absorbing, you know, things that are on your shoes, whether that's mud or cow shit or what have you. Uh, you know, the link mat was really sort of the industrial mat, you know, you could put an engine block in the back of your Land Rover pickup and it could bounce around and not damage the floor. And then in the front, you could have muddy shoes and you basically scrape them off on the floor mats. And then it also, uh, allowed the floor to breathe, which I really like. So I think for, for a simple accessory that I really use and enjoy the link mat is, uh, is the one I'm going to mention this week.
0: Is there a link mat of today that uh, that you like? Is there a reproduction that you're a, a big fan of? That uh, I know there was a there was a company and I forget the name of it. Probably a good thing that uh, that was reproducing them in the UK, but then they like disappeared from the face of the earth and stopped re- returning people's emails and phone calls. Um, but uh, do you have a source for those link mats?
1: Yeah, we do sell them uh, at Pangolin 4x4. Uh we have them listed on the website and uh we'll make them custom if you've got uh you know a special configuration, you know, one of the the 109 wagon would probably be the one that we get mm-hmm. a request for that's a little more elaborate, but um and and for those listeners that aren't familiar, the link mat is essentially a section of tire And they're they're made into rectangular links and then they're joined together with wire. And so it forms uh, just an incredibly durable mat. It wears like iron. You can't damage it. You could drive over it with a tank and it would just be fine. Um well in fact I know that there are pictures
0: of uh you know of back in the day people using them as traction mats, that they would uh shove them under the tire of a of a bogged down uh, Land Rover and actually use them as a
1: traction mat and then uh,
0: throw them back. They're they're an early Max track. Uh they the, the, the the predecessor to
1: the max track that's uh that's probably accurate you know they are so tough uh you know the the rubber sheet mats would just wad up and tear but uh these are just incredible um so that's that's my accessory that i i really like this week what about you well, I'll go with modern uh, accessories,
0: and I know this is one that you're uh, very fond of. Both our friends at Undercover Covers as well as uh, the Xmore Trim folks make a, uh, a canvas uh, sort of... Uh, door card if you will for the for the series cars series one through series three anything with the with the aluminum hollow door i don't think you can get them for defenders because there was stuff in the door that would get in the way of course in the series cars you don't have that problem um and uh, it would allow you to uh you know just, it allows you to sort of keep shit in the door of your uh of your car there's also uh one you can get uh for the uh uh, for the grab uh, handle inside of the series one that allows you to have a little bit of a uh, little bit of storage. Cause uh, you know, sometimes storage in the series cars is a little tricky. Now I know this is controversial because these are not necessarily your favorite uh, Land Rover accessories. Hank.
1: I think they would also make a good traction, Matt, especially with uh, some of your belongings inside. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they remind me of cargo shorts or the infamous Utila kilt, That was, uh, and maybe still is available, uh, It's sort of uh, screwed to the inside of the door panel, Um, you know, cosmetically, I I think it's not, I'm not in love with it, but uh, functionally, you can't have too many pockets, you know.
0: That's true it is the cargo short of vehicle uh,
1: accessory uh, and certainly I mean now I
0: am thinking of it uh, I, I am uh, famously uh, opposed to the utility kilt as being a uh, uh, a, a Scottish uh, Canadian I uh, you know I I take some offense to the utility <laughs> and really and really the kilt kilt wearing by non, uh, you know, Scottish uh, individuals is totally fine. I encourage it. I think everyone should wear uh, a kilt at some point in their life. You've never experienced freedom like you have uh, wearing a kilt. Uh, You know, I do feel like the Utila kilt is uh, perhaps, uh, you know, a a bit of a bastardization of what is a, a, you know, a traditional garment. And so, hey, Uh, listen, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not here to criticize anyone. If the utility kilt is what turns your crank, then, uh, more power to you. But, uh, I think it is, uh, extraordinarily unlikely, uh, albeit impossible to find me, uh, in a utilicilt, but it's fine for my Land Rover. So, uh, we'll get, uh, we'll get them strapped up. Now I don't actually have the door things. Um, but I do have, uh, I do have one of the things for my series one, uh, in a bag that I was given. I've actually never put it into the series one. Uh, it was, it was a gift and I, I have it. Uh, it is in my cupboard full of series one, uh, parts and, uh, one of these days. Now, another thing, quick side note, um, one thing I genuinely do like, and again, this is something that, uh, is a, is a Pangolin four by four accessory, but also available out in the world is the leather, uh, wrap for the series steering wheels. I have that on every series car and with the, you know, no power steering to speak of and everything, the leather, um, you know, it just gives you a little bit better grip and it's just, it's a really nice feel. It's fun to do. The stitching is—I mean, your hands are crazy sore afterwards, but there's a real sense of accomplishment after you finally finish doing the whole thing, and and it looks really good. It looks very original, and it does make the car uh, a little more, uh, in my mind, uh, a little more drivable. Especially if your hands are wet or something like that. It's just nice to have.
1: Yeah, the series steering wheels are notoriously uh, gummy as they degrade over time, and any bit, any hint. Of humidity and you have black stuff on your hands. And, um, it's really expensive to recast those steering wheels anymore. You know, yeah. we do it and, uh, man, it's, uh, it's, I want to say 800 bucks to, to recast yeah. those. So the, the, the leather steering wheel, you know, it makes the, the steering wheel nice to grip, you know, you're always touching that part of the car and, uh, it's, you know, it's not cold on a cool morning. It's not hot mm-hmm. on a hot day. Um, it is really nice. And my hands are kind of fat. And so it, uh, it you know, the series steering wheels are a little thin. And my uh, mm-hmm. my my nails tend to dig into my my palm if I'm uh, really gripping the steering yep. wheel off-road or something. And that leather just gives it enough extra diameter that it's it is nice. Mm-hmm. It does take between three and four months to stitch one together uh so you know listen to your favorite podcast or watch your favorite show and uh and just stitch it up i just i usually take the steering wheel off of the car and just like uh, watch a movie or something and stitch it up
0: yeah and do it while you're yeah i uh i've done one on the car and two out of the car and uh i don't know which way i prefer but uh no matter what your hands are going to be are going to be nice and sore because that thin uh thread the uh you know, between the knuckles of your index fingers, they are, uh, it gets real, but you got to get it tight. That's it, a, it looks, it looks beautiful when you do the understitch and it's nice and tight. It's good. And actually that, un, that understitching gives a nice grip as well. You know, so you get a good.
1: We will give a free steering wheel cover and a free T-shirt to someone who installs the steering wheel cover while driving. Actually, that don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> no, that, no, yeah. that, that would be incredibly dangerous. <laughs> but uh, that uh, that's funny to think about. Uh,
0: I have, uh, you know, I've gotten a few uh, for some reason. I, I've owned a few Landovers over uh, over the years that people have taken like the tennis racket wrap and wrapped that around the steering wheel uh, on, a, on, a, on a Land Rover. I've got no less than two. One, okay, whatever. But two, totally different people, different parts of the country, both came wrapped with tennis racket uh, wrap around what is an otherwise completely destroyed steering wheel. So it may have been a sales technique. But, uh, but that, I'll tell you, doesn't work in the, in the vein of uh, installing it while driving. I've had one of those become uninstalled while driving. And, uh, that is a fun thing to manage, uh, unwrapping what is like a and a half mile long piece of tennis racket wrap as it continually comes off the steering wheel over the course of a, of a 15 minute drive. Uh, and then of course it's just floating around inside the car, you know, sort of, you don't, it's like a snake. You lose track of it and you're like, where is it? And the next thing you know, it's in a pile underneath the clutch or something.
1: Like <laughs> that. So anyways, that's, uh, the leather ones don't do that. I'm sure that would be entertaining to watch as you're driving along. You, uh, you deal with all of that. Yeah, it's like a Mr. Bean uh,
0: episode happening inside the uh, Land Rover as the steering wrap comes unlo- dislodged and then tries to attack. So,
1: Well, speaking of cars that you own, uh, you have a very interesting Bug Eye model, which is a transitional uh, example, you know, uh, first Land Rover it, to it have sure is. the headlights and the fenders. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, and Ike, this is, uh, you know, an ongoing segment I think we're going to do as segments seem to be the theme of this particular show, um, what we're calling uh, Britain's Top Model, (laughs) uh, Britain's Top Model. <laughs> uh, of Land Rover. So yeah, the, the bug eye is an interesting car. I was chatting with one of our uh, one of our uh, listeners, uh, valuable listener supported podcast you are listening to today. One of our listeners uh, on Instagram who happens to have exactly the same bug eye as I do, which isn't actually that uncommon. If you have a bug eye chances are you have a bug eye that is either identical or very similar to mine. They all came in, uh, they didn't all, most of them came in the green color that I have, which is that, I don't, you'll know the exact name, Mike, but the, the pastel green color. That's it. Um, Yeah, that's the color. Pastel green. There you, there you have it with the limestone roof and and wheels. Um, There was a, you know, again, no one knows how many of these cars were made. They were made uh, for a, Regulatory change in North America uh, for January of uh, 1969, so the first part of 1969. So at the end of 1968, Land Rover started pumping out these uh, Bug-Eye uh, uh, Series 2As. And basically, the what, what makes it a Bug-Eye... Um, it's actually, the name comes from an Aston, uh, an Austin Healey, uh, Spirit, the little, the little Spirit sports car from the 1950s. Sprite? Remember, kind of looks like a Sprite. I'm sorry. Kind of looks like a Mazda Miata, but not mm-hmm. at all. Like yeah. much better. Um, and they had the headlights kind of popped right on top of the hood, which kind of made it look like a, uh, like bug's eyes. And so, um, that was a sort of already an automotive term. So when Land Rover, uh, faced, uh, an importation, Uh, restriction into uh, North America in uh, 1969, January of 1969. Uh, They had to figure out how do they get the uh, headlights, which are required now to be at a a preset distance from each other um, on the vehicle, which uh, being adjacent to each other in uh, the grill simply didn't allow. They weren't far enough apart. They had to be outside on the wings of the car. Um, and so they accomplished that by, uh, just drilling big holes in the wings of the car and, uh, shoving the, uh, regular headlights there. And they simply, uh, didn't create that hole, uh, in the, uh, radiator panel of the, uh, of the the series cars. So it was still you know still had the uh had the notched grill uh, like you would in some cases sometimes had a full grill really depend on on what you know sort of day of the of the week they were made um and they uh you know so they moved the lights out there um, the same turn signal indicators, but the uh, the running lights the large uh, running lights underneath they had to be uh enlarged because the uh, the lighting regulations required uh, these larger uh, larger indicator lights, uh, underneath. And, uh, and so they actually got those from a, uh, a bus, like from a British, I guess they went down to, uh, whatever bins of parts they had at the, at the Leyland, uh, uh, or Land Rover factory at the time and got these, these sort of, uh, you know, the large, uh, large indicator uh, lights.
1: Lucas L833, in case you, uh, need those for your bug eye at home.
0: They are a super important part of the bug eye as well because that's one of the key things. The side indicators uh, that you'll have, which are then present on the Series 3 and everything forward from there in the North American spec vehicles and the larger North American spec uh, um, uh, orange, uh, orange disc, which again, yeah, are from, uh, they're a Lucas part used commonly on buses in, in, in England, which is kind of a fun, uh, thing. And they, yeah, they literally punched holes in the front wings, stuck the lights on, uh, didn't look particularly elegant, uh, obviously as it needed to be just kind of affixed to the outside of the, uh, of the vehicle. Um, and, uh, and that was sort of it. There's also some emissions changes, um, about the, uh, the bug eye that, that they, they sort of did a bunch of North American changes. Um, and, you know, the big thing is there was only really a few hundred of them made. Nobody knows exactly. Um, and James Taylor talks about it in his great anthology of all things Land Rover um that you know some people say there were as many as nine hundred and change made, some say there were as few as two or three hundred made. Nobody really knows for sure. they're not altogether that uncommon here in the in North America. You actually see them more than you should considering how few of them were made um i think the the thing is is that every almost not every single one of them there was also some that um it was either norway or sweden that also got a few but um there were some nordic country that got a few but uh but the the large amount of them came here most of them came here and so however many there were uh they were all sort of pastel green or not all but they were mostly pastel green there were some uh, limestone ones uh and uh, pastel green ones and they all uh, ended up, uh, here in, in North America. So they're actually quite common. There are some in Canada. There were, there were some that got imported into Canada and there are uh, a lot here in the United States, a lot in California. And, uh, and yeah, I think they're a neat car because it is, in my opinion, one of the most North American Land Rovers that, that you can have save the NADA long wheelbase, uh, six cylinder. Um, are Specifically made for this market. They they didn't exist anywhere else, really. Again, one Nordic country had them, but not in very high numbers. And so it's one of those it's one of those examples of Land Rover really being led by the North American market, trying desperately to succeed in the North American market, and therefore creating uh, this very one off sort of unique vehicle. I think they look neat. A lot of people I, I think think that it's uh, something that someone had done um, that was sort of incorrect. So I know a number of them have been corrected, which of course are, are not actually corrected they're, They've been, they've been uncorrected to put on regular fenders and put the lights back in, uh, to like a normal series two, a would, uh, would have had. Um, but in fact, they are supposed to be just stuck on the outside of the wings like that. And I think they look kind of neat and they're a very, you know, they're very interesting North American story. Um, you know, they had the deluxe interior deluxe hardtop, um you know no roof vents no you know standard deluxe interior just like all the north american uh, uh, cars uh, did and uh, yeah i think they're i think they're pretty neat
1: yeah it's uh, it's been a while since i've had a bug eye the first bug eye that i got um i lived in indiana at the time and this uh, this gentleman from new mexico contacted me asking if i had an overdrive which i did at the time and he said well i'll trade you my bug eye for your overdrive and I was <laughs> I was in college at the time, and I, I was like, I can't drive to New Mexico to get your Land Rover, but that sounds like a an entertaining trade. And he said, uh, no problem. I'll bring it to you. So this guy drove from New Mexico to Indiana towing a Bug Eye Land Rover behind his pickup truck and traded it to me for an overdrive. And then he just got Did back he put the car? overdrive on the trailer in place of the Bug-Eye? <laughs> no, it was like a U-Haul trailer. He just returned the trailer wow. and put the overdrive in his pickup. But I was like, that's that's incredible. That sort of thing doesn't happen to me anymore. But uh, the Bug-Eye is, is an interesting model. All the ones that I have had have uh, the unique grill where it's flat across the bottom. But it, mm-hmm. it kind of has the steps at the top. Um, mm mm-hmm. But and they have the deep sills and they were kind of, I think, sort of the last maybe a, a model that had the, the deep sills, you know, the, the late mm-hmm. Then they went to the narrow sills. But definitely yeah. an interesting and uh, specific North American variant. And uh, I, I do think that they're they're pretty neat cars for sure. Yeah. And if you you know, a lot of them were
0: accessorized fairly
1: heavily. The car
0: at, at the time was thirty five. Hundred dollars uh, a U.S., depending on how it was optioned, anywhere from about 3000 to about $3,500 uh, depending on how it was optioned. For, for the time, 1969, and the type of vehicle it was, that was a bit spendy. Um, and so a lot of the cars were optioned out uh, pretty heavily. You find that more often than not, has been has been my experience in in uh, seeing lots of other people's bug eyes that they have cigarette uh, you know the the little uh, ashtrays they have sometimes they have the radio uh, oftentimes they'll have the uh, lots of dash uh, panels with extra gauges and things like that that are all uh, you know factory uh, original because I think they option these cars out to make them a little more palatable. Uh, when it came to what was a little bit higher uh, price tag. Some have, uh, oh, I mean, I don't know what, if this is true or not, but a lot of them seem to have 15-inch wheels at that time. Obviously, gas prices coming into the 1970s were very high, so the 15-inch wheels became, uh, became a real staple of, of series cars for a while.
1: Uh, 15-inch wheels came on all the North American short wheelbases um, starting in late 1965, and uh, they had a, a lot better options for tires in that size you could still get um yeah the the dixie Peck wheels and a 16 and the 109s came with a 16 until 1967 when they stopped selling the 109 but certainly the 15 yeah. inch wheel is another thing that's peculiar and uh and specific to the the u.s model cars um yeah i i think it's great and uh i've seen your bug eye and uh it's a it's a handsome vehicle
0: yeah, it's a neat car. I'm a big fan.
1: All right, Ike, I
0: think uh, the time has uh, come for what is without question and this is I think true of every audience member. Uh their undisputed favorite segment, uh famous Land Rover owner of the week. Ike, what did the big wheel of famous Land Rover owners yield uh for us this week so far as famous Land Rover owners.
1: Well, I I spun the wheel and this week it landed on Indiana Jones cast member John Reese Davies. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, he uh, plays the sort of, um, you know, good natured but semi-incompetent fixer and uh, with the heart of gold, you know, uh, Sala in the Indiana Jones series. And, uh, he's also famous for playing Gimli in Lord of the Rings, but, uh, he is, uh, he's quite the Land Rover enthusiast to the point where he's, he's a collector. He really is. He's got several land I
0: roles. think it's, I think it's fair to say that he's a collector. His, uh, daily drivers, at least at one point in his life, uh, appeared to be both the Discovery and Range Rover in, in many variants over uh, the years, which in itself is, is I think notable, but, uh, I think the more, uh, notable piece of that is that, uh, he has not just a Series 2A uh, long wheel based car. He has a, not just an XRAF uh, 110, uh, but also a 109, uh, which is described as having, an, Ike had to help me out with this, uh, advanced frame cancer. <laughs> which Stage four. I. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a stage 4. I guess that's a uh, a good way to describe some serious corrosion on the underbody of one's Land Rover uh, that is described as in restoration thankfully um, as uh, as that is uh, something you'd want to uh, you'd want to deal with. Uh, again, although uh, unless you were optioning out a new vehicle uh, with pre-rusted panels, In which case, that is something you might look for. In this case, I think it's something uh, as it is structural, you probably want to uh, deal with. But uh, it seems like he's very into it into not just having, um, you know, not just having these cars as uh, sort of drive arounds, but he's got apparently a a rooftop tent on his uh, on his 109 uh and he's you know he's taken them he's been seen with them in Kenya and all, all over the place so he he seems to be a big enthusiast now of course famously the host of archeology uh on i think it was it was either the history channel maybe it was before the history channel maybe it was discovery but uh I loved uh archaeology
1: he's an incredibly prolific uh actor and voice uh i uh, i guess a voice actor voice actor and the live action performer um and uh, you know we couldn't find a lot of pictures of him with his Land Rovers. Uh, you know when we were researching this segment. But if you want to see uh, a film with John Rhys Davies and Land Rovers, you got to watch the James Bond film, The Living Daylights, which has a, I, I, if memory serves me a, an opening scene where there's mm-hmm. a, there's a parachuting out of a Land Rover. Which it, believe it or not, you have to you have to see it to see how that works. Oh yeah.
0: I think at some point, like we were going to do a, uh, maybe a Patreon special just on James Bond and Land Rovers. It's, it's such a, uh, there's so many cars, there's so many Land Rovers in the world of James Bond. But yeah, of course, that is a, a super, super famous scene. Um, you know, I, of course, you can't talk about John Rhys-Davies without talking about uh, the television program Sliders, which uh, I think is probably the 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 high point of his career. Uh, certainly for me uh it was <laughs> i
1: i i never really watched the show very often but uh i think i was i think i was 10 maybe when it came out something like that yeah it sounds about right yeah. and uh yeah. and i i remember it just being on just late enough that my parents were like you gotta go to bed but uh it's a sci-fi show, right? Yeah, that may be a qualitative uh, recommendation
0: on your parents' part as well. Not just uh, not just like a, it's important that a, a growing boy gets a good sleep, but uh, also sliders is terrible. Um, but of course, famously, <laughs> uh, Jerry O'Connell. I don't know if Jerry O'Connell owns any, uh, any Land Rovers. I haven't seen Jerry O'Connell. I don't think anyone has seen Jerry O'Connell in a while. Um, I, I don't know how he's doing. Uh, I've heard that he's very fat um that's all that's all i know that's all <laughs> that's, i know for sure
1: that's just mean that's just mean. it's <laughs> just me we're gonna end this segment on jerry o'connell's fat that's uh that's awful that's awful yep yeah.
0: that's how it goes sometimes i can uh you know again john
1: reese davies uh
0: this week the wheel is not always kind when it comes to uh deeply famous uh land rover rumors but i think you know john reese davies has had a huge career and obviously is a real enthusiast so uh, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, hopefully Jerry O'Connell's doing well. Maybe, maybe he's recently purchased a Land Rover and, and, uh, he'll come up. Only the wheel knows for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it will, it will, and the wheel giveth and the wheel taketh away. So,
1: well, I had a lot of fun this week. Uh, thanks so much, Stephen, And, uh, I'm looking forward to next week.
0: I am as well. Ike, have a great week. Stay safe and we'll see you next week. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.